0: Hi, and happy Saturday. Today, we are concluding our two-part podcast on the Great Moon Hoax of 1835, which is where the hoax gets really weird. I mean, it's weird (laughs) from the beginning. (laughs) Here's where it gets really weird. Uh, And it's also where we talk about how the hoax was received by the end of the whole thing.
1: We hope you have fun and laugh a little bit. Enjoy. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry, And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And today is the second part of our two-part episode on a series that ran in the New York Sun uh, in August of 1835, detailing some incredible and amazing discoveries that had been made by viewing the lunar surface through a brand new type of telescope created by Sir John Herschel. (laughs) It had discussed uh, at some length bison that had been seen, flora, goat-like unicorns, and in the last chunk that we talked about before we
0: cliff-hung the first episode, bat people. Right. And also the bipedal beavers with no tails that carried their babies around like human babies.
1: Yeah, I was telling our uh, producer, Noel, that I want to start a band called Lunar Beavers because that's funny to me. (laughs) I don't have any musical talent, but I'm going to do it just the same. I figure I can at least make band t-shirts, right? I think that's a great idea. So so now we're going to pick up with the fifth entry in this six-part series. uh, And we will go on to describe it and the sixth part uh, and what they contain. And then we will talk about sort of uh, the cultural context of all of this and how it affected people.
0: The fifth entry in this series appeared in uh, in the newspaper on Saturday, August 29th, 1835. And this one started with the description of three oceans on the surface of the moon, which were visible even with the puniest of telescopes. They had also described seven seas and innumerable smaller bodies of water. Additionally, there were all manner of outcroppings that the astronomers really started to struggle to name because there's not really a com- a comparable geography on Earth. And while they were
1: surveying all of these lunar attributes, and again, this is after they had just, this is the the following session after they had discovered these bat people, uh, the astronomers identified an unusual architectural figure in the landscape. So they paused for a moment and they adjusted their instruments, lenses, and its settings so that they
0: could take a closer look at it. What they discovered was a triangle-shaped temple that was made entirely of sapphire or some other blue stone that closely resembled sapphire. The temple had numerous massive columns around its outside edges that were estimated to be 6 feet or 1.8 meters wide and 70 feet or 21 meters tall. These columns were spaced at about 12 feet or 3.7 meters apart. Yeah, and uh, when we say
1: triangle-shaped, what we mean is the footprint of it was triangle-shaped. It wasn't a pyramid. It was kind of like if you were looking at it from above, it was a triangle, but it rose like a column uh, in the sum of its parts. And it was, according to Dr. Andrew Grant, who you will recall if you listen to the first part, was the assistant to uh, Sir John Herschel who was relaying this information to uh, an Edinburgh scientific journal and sharing these notes with the press. And he said that this was quite a beautiful structure. Uh, The roof was a golden metal and it appeared to mimic the look of flames. And within the flames, as though it was being consumed by them, was a sphere that the astronomers observed that looked as though it were made of a clouded copper. And on each of the temple's three corners was a smaller sphere of what appeared to be the same copper
0: material. A scroll made from the same metal as the flames unfurled from the roof over the upper walls of the building. And the temple was open and airy. There weren't really any additional walls or or altars um, that existed in addition to all these columns. With the inclusion of the flame ornamentation on the top, they estimated that it was almost 100 feet or 30 meters high. There were no man-bats or other humanoid moon beings at the temple, only birds.
1: And this fifth entry pretty much just describes this temple. uh, And then it concludes with speculation about the meaning of the temple and its flame symbolism. It asks the question, quote, Did they, by this, record any past calamity of their world or predict any future one of
0: ours? The sixth and final entry in the New York Sun's lunar series was printed on Monday, August 31st, 1835.
1: Yeah, so at this point, they've run basically for a week. Uh, Not far from the temple discussed in the fifth entry, which they referred to as the Veil of the Triads, the astronomers saw similar beings to their uh, man-bats that they had talked about in the fourth entry, which they had named Vespertilio Homo.
0: These creatures, however, were a lot larger and they were lighter colored than the ones that they had seen in the Ruby Colosseum. Dr. Grant claimed that these man-bats were, quote, an improved variety of the race.
1: Uh, The team observed these larger man bats eating yellow, gourd-like fruits and then sucking the juice from a red fruit that was sort of shaped like a cucumber. Uh, The astronomers observed these creatures and their group dynamics, and they noted how polite they seemed to be in terms of their society and their seeming serenity overall.
0: They also observed eight or nine previously unseen quadruped species, including a really elegant stag-like beast that had a white coat and black antlers. Grant commented on the way that all of the beings of the moon seemed to cohabitate peacefully without any sort of predator-prey kind of relationship, which kind of contradicts the earlier accounts where they uh, decided that there must be fish in the water because the birds were diving for them.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's not brought up again at all. Um, And at this point, uh, they sort of, it's a a shorter observational period. They kind of conclude the day's observation. However, this is not the end of this sixth entry in the newspaper series.
0: After gawking at all of this amazing stuff and the more advanced man-bats of the moon, the astronomers wrapped up for the night by accidentally failing to correctly lower the lens and place it horizontally. They lowered it, but they left it in a perpendicular position. And consequently, uh, the observatory that Herschel and his team had constructed caught fire because of the light that continued to reflect in the telescope because it hadn't been laid down flat. So while the structure and its contents were safe, there was a massive hole that had been burned in the reflecting chamber of the observatory. And that's why everything was abruptly cut short.
1: Of course, workmen were hired. Uh, for a rush repair job, according to this account by Grant. And within a week, the telescope and its supporting elements were once again fit to do their work. But unfortunately, at that point, the moon had moved out of observable position, and it wouldn't come back again for a bit.
0: What follows is a whole section where the telescope was then turned to Saturn and its rings, and the account detailed various things about that celestial body rather than the moon
1: uh which is all a very fascinating read but we're going to keep focus to the moon stuff for uh for this uh and by the time the moon had moved back into an observable position uh Grant's notes indicated that Herschel was still really deep in his Saturn studies so that he couldn't quite refocus back to the moon yet but Dr. Grant and the other two assistants that were there did decide to take another peek at the moon and at this point, the three found an even more beautiful group of Vespertilio homo, which seemed to have a ceremonial social structure which was similar to what they had seen uh, among the, the bat people near the Sapphire Temple and an even more advanced proclivity for producing art.
0: Uh, But that's where the account of Dr. Grant ends. He said he wished to, quote, let the first detailed account of them appear in Dr. Herschel's Authenticated Natural History of This Planet. Which is uh, so kind of him to not want to steal the spotlight. (laughs) So uh,
1: we are going to talk next about how the world of 1835 felt about all of this moon talk and these amazing and fantastical discoveries. But before we do, we're going to pause for a word from a sponsor. Okay, so back to uh, the New York Sun's published account based on the notes of Dr. Grant of the things they had seen on the moon as part of Sir John Herschel's Expedition. Uh, So, this newspaper series featured a moon filled with lush landscapes of crystals and poppies, fauna similar to bison, unicorn, and sheep, and a relatively advanced race of bat people. Uh, So, you are probably wondering, what on earth did the public make of all this?
0: And the short answer was, people were really excited. They debated over the veracity of these reports from the lunar surface there were lectures given and open panels to discuss the implications of this new finding of life on the moon.
1: And other news outlets started picking up the story even before all of the installments had been published. So like by the second one, they began to reprint this. And within weeks, the tale of lunar civilization had really kind of traveled around the world uh,
0: as one outlet picked it up and shared it with another, et cetera, et cetera. The sun made a nice chunk of cash from this hoax The readership numbers might have bumped up a little, but the paper also sold really popular pamphlets about the discoveries, prints of artist renderings of the various elements that had been described in the series, and that included the Solar Temple and the Bat People.
1: Yeah, those images are fantastic. I love them.
0: Um, And in
1: terms of context in the greater cultural landscape... Uh, A decade before the Great Moon hoax, a German professor at Munich University had published a paper that translates to discovery of many distinct traces of lunar inhabitants, especially of one of their colossal buildings. And this one was not intended uh, as a hoax. It discusses the multicolored patches of the moon and how they might relate to gradations, uh, how those gradations might relate to possible different climate zones, different crops, and perhaps even different cities and man-made structures
0: just a few months before the new york sun ran this story there was also an edgar Allan poe short story that came out called the unparalleled adventure of one hans fall and that had been published in the southern literary messenger this was a story of a man's return to holland and he was filled with stories of a balloon adventure that had taken him to the moon This had been intended, as was the case for satire at the time, to fool at least some of its readers. But Poe's story was quickly recognized as fiction by typical readers most of the time. Further, the Southern Literary Messenger had a really small circulation, whereas the New York Sun had a much larger readership. Yeah, some of the numbers that you'll
1: see uh, were like in the 19,000s for distribution. There is some debate about what the true numbers were and how much of that was a bump from this story. But thousands versus a much smaller group that were reading uh, the Southern Literary Messenger. And whether the Hans Fall tale inspired this lengthy faux scientific series of notes that the Sun published, we don't know for certain. Uh, It's certainly entirely possible that both were developed independently. But this was a time when an expedition like Herschel's trip to South Africa, which was a real thing uh, to observe Halley's Comet, was big news. And astronomy and the possibility of life on other worlds were really sparking the imaginations of the general public. And in fact, 40 years earlier... Sir John Herschel's father, William Herschel, had published a paper speculating about life on other planets, so this was a topic that was kind of rumbling through culture already.
0: The Sun's series had been really carefully designed to capitalize on all that interest in space and life on other worlds and all of that. It was grounded in truth thanks to the use of Herschel's name and his very well-reported research trip to Cape Town. It developed slowly, first establishing all of the scientific instruments that were being used in the research, and then it unwound the details of these lunar wonders bit by bit.
1: And while you will hear and read, if you look at many historians' treatment of this, uh, different accounts of really how this kind of... uh, came out in terms of numbers of, like, what proportion of the population believed it versus what didn't. At least for the first several installments, it seemed that a lot of people did believe these claims or were at least sort of wanted to believe them enough to think about them, uh, of flora and fauna that were being observed with this amazing fictional telescope. But the fourth installment, so that's where they introduced these bat people uh, went a little too far past believability for a lot of readers. That kind of tipped the scale of like, uh, you've gone too far now.
0: By the time the fifth entry was published, most of the other papers had started denouncing the entirety of this series as a hoax. Richard Adams Locke, a British journalist who had moved to America, was accused of penning the faux-discovery narrative. Locke had been hired as an editor of The Sun just two months before this hoax began.
1: And Locke actually addressed these accusations with a nebulous denial letter that he wrote to the New York Herald uh, on August 31st. So that was the same day that the last installment of the tale uh, was published in the New York Sun. And in this letter, Locke wrote, quote, I beg to state, as unequivocally as the words can express it, that I did not make those discoveries, and it is my sincere conviction, founded on a careful examination of the internal evidence of the work in which they first appeared, that, if made at all, they were made by the great astronomer to whom all Europe, if not an incredulous
0: America, will undoubtedly ascribe them. A Philadelphia paper reprinted Locke's letter along with an advertisement for real estate auction to sell off newly discovered property identified by... Sir John Herschel, the sale of which could include the native one-horned sheep with the fleshy lid flaps, if the buyer so desired.
1: Yeah, so some people were definitely kind of picking up the joke and running with it in their own ways. Uh, And even though at this point it clearly seemed to all be one big lark and most people had accepted it as such, there were still people who believed the accounts. Uh, Plus, there was this added complication, remember, we're talking about 180 years ago, that in some places the news of the discovery had spread, but the follow-up hoax discussions had not. So they were only getting the accounts as though they were real. They had not had any of the follow-up talk that was going on in other papers.
0: Of course, there was no Dr. Andrew Grant who had been traveling and working with Sir John Herschel. He was completely made up. But Herschel did exist, and he had been working on a new telescope, and he did travel to the Cape of Good Hope in 1834. It was on that trip that he made some important observations of Halley's Comet. So that little tiny kernel of truth fueled the fires of belief as this whole hoax played out.
1: And Edgar Allan Poe believed that Locke was the author of The Great Moon Hoax, uh, as the serial came to be known. It certainly wasn't published that way, but later on, people started calling it that. And he suggested that Locke had actually stolen the Hans Fall idea and reworked it. And after almost 10 years of complaining about this, Uh, as though it had been a slight to him, Poe wrote another story, which was entitled The Balloon Hoax, and this was about an intensely speedy balloon trip across the Atlantic Ocean. If I'm remembering correctly, it like took 75 hours. And this too was a hoax, apparently inspired by the Great Moon Hoax, and it ended up being published in The New York Sun. The Balloon Hoax uh, fooled a lot more people than the story of Hans Fall.
0: So the New York Sun never retracted this story. It also never named the true author, although most historians do believe that it was Locke. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. While most people and other news publications seemed unbothered by this, the Sun's primary competitor, the New York Herald, declared the Sun's printing of the series to be, quote, highly improper, wicked, and in fact, a species of impudent swindling. But most people saw it as basically a clever joke.
1: The reason that most people were willing to let this hoax go without protests about the Sun's journalistic integrity and the ethics that they should have upheld sort of stemmed from the fact that the New York Sun was a penny paper. Uh, At the time, there were penny papers and there were six-cent papers. And six-cent papers at the time were aimed at more discerning readers, usually a little more educated, a little more highbrow, whereas penny papers... Uh, printed more lurid news. They would print gossip. They would print crime reports and murder sheets. And they were aimed at sort of a wider audience. They just weren't considered on the same level as the six cent Papers.
0: I think this is similar to the divide between the tabloid format papers and broadsheet papers today.
1: It is. Although, um, penny papers would report real news as well. But they had sort of that leverage to have a little bit of wit and not...
0: Yeah, and tabloids have basic have definitely broken some legitimate stories before. That's true. But, uh, you know, I you the the classic Bat Boy cover of a you know a tabloid papers is what this whole story kind of reminds me of.
1: And who doesn't love Bat Boy? Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit more about Locke and about Sir John Herschel in just a moment. But before that, uh, we are going to have a quick word from a sponsor. If that's cool with Tracy. Sure. So, almost five years after The Great Moon Hoax was published, and after Locke, who was uh, noted to be kind of a heavy drinker, was said to have confessed his authorship to various colleagues in the newspaper industry in various states of intoxication, uh, Locke actually wrote a letter to the paper New World, And at this point, he had returned to life as a freelance writer. After he left the sun, he went to another job at the New Era. But then when he resigned from that, he went back to freelance.
0: Locke's letter appeared on the front page of The New World on May 16th of 1840. And in it, he said that he had written The Great Moon Hoax, but that it had not been intended as a hoax he claimed that it had been written as satire, intended to skewer the effect that religion was having on science, which he believed led to the acceptance of fanciful thinking over solid truth.
1: And so that would seem to clear the um the case on whether or not Locke had written it. However, there is still some debate over whether he could have even written this series given the information about astronomy that, cont- that it contained and that some people say he just would not have known. Uh, it is, of course, entirely possible that Locke h- could have consulted with experts or that multiple writers worked on these accounts that they put forward as the work of this fictional uh, Dr. Andrew Grant. And it's also entirely conceivable that Locke may have learned enough about astronomy through his own reading. He was apparently a, a very well-read man and sort of a, a lifelong learner, that he could have written this piece without assistance. So it's not an open and shut, but most people still think Locke did do the writing.
0: You may be wondering, I know I was, exactly what Sir John Herschel thought of all of this. And while all of this work was going down in the States, Sir John Herschel was still in South Africa doing actual legitimate astronomy work. In late 1835, he was given a copy of the narrative that the son had published, which had cited his work, and his initial reaction seemed to be one of amusement. He's said to have remarked that his own actual work would probably seem quite dull by comparison once it was published. So even though the initial
1: reception on his part was pretty jolly, over time, that amusement wore right off. Um, uh, Several years down the road, he wrote a letter to his aunt Caroline Herschel, who was also an astronomer of some renown. I have been pestered from all quarters with that ridiculous hoax about the moon in English, French, Italian,
0: and German. As for the sun, it continued its circulation until it merged with the New York World Telegram in 1950, and that company eventually went under in 1967.
1: And that's The Great Moon Hoax, which uh, I, I think I did not credit earlier, but our listener Brian wrote to us and mentioned this uh, a while back, and it kind of uh, went on my list, and I've been eyeballing it ever since, so I'm glad that this was the, the week that I carved out time to do it.